0: Hello and welcome to How Many Geese. I'm Jack Baddams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously... Then we are The Natural Selection. On today's show... This man's now got a whole pack of iguanas running around in his car. Roddy, I want to talk about... Great tits. Oh, yes. You can't stop him. (laughs) So, what animals routinely in the animal kingdom annoy each
1: other? I think this could be it. I think I'm just going to become crap. So, you know how we love a headline on this
0: show. Don't we just? We're a big fan of a headline. I came across one of my favourites recently, which is... Florida man fills car with frozen iguanas. They wake up.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. But also, oh, yes.
0: So, this is, for anyone who doesn't know, as we have spoken about before on the show, Florida is made up of many, many non-native species, green iguanas being one of them, being one of the most obvious ones, native to Central and South America and parts of the Caribbean. They've been in Florida since the 60s, and these five-foot-long lizards are quite happy roaming around in the Sunshine State. And, yeah, there's, there's now loads and loads and loads of them around Florida, thanks to the climate, which is pretty good for them. Although, in the last few winters there have been some pretty extreme cold temperatures in Florida, down into the minus degrees centigrade. And as a reptile, iguanas need heat to activate their muscles. That's not good news. It's not great news for people either, because then you get these seven kilo lizards just dropping straight out of the trees (laughs) and freezing up. So back to the headline, and just to explain a little bit about what happened... This was in 2020, when a man who was from Central America, but living in Florida, couldn't believe his luck when he was walking down the street and there were just iguanas lying everywhere. Because
1: in Central America, his iguana is a bit of a delicacy. Okay. I was about to ask, when you say couldn't believe his luck, <laughs> what, what luck? <laughs> right, okay.
0: So, they're, yeah, they're a bit of a delicacy in Central America. And this chap's having a great time, going around, picking up all these iguanas that appear to be dead on the road that had fallen out of the trees. They turned gray, were cold to the touch, and weren't moving at all. So he's like, brilliant, got myself a good old iguana barbecue, stuck them all in the vehicle in his car, and began to drive off. Now, obviously, it's quite cold, and he's got the heating whacked up. Oh, no. And lo and behold, all these iguanas, as as they start to warm up, their muscles start to work, and they start to be able to move around. And this man's now got a whole pack of iguanas running around (laughs) in his car.
1: Do we know how many? No. I couldn't find
0: any uh, information on how many, but just that it did cause him to have an accident. (laughs) So, (laughs) so the car he crashed his car because of these iguanas now there was no report of how serious the accident was or like i say how many iguanas there were but it was just yeah the headline florida man fills his car with iguanas they wake up was just a sensational bit of news reporting yep so i thought this was a great story and i could have gone in two ways with it because it did remind me of a story from 2019 in estonia when some men that were working on the Cindy Dam during winter noticed an animal trapped in the icy water. They ID'd it as a dog and set about rescuing it from the river. The dog was absolutely frozen, so they bundled it into their car, wrapping it up, keeping it warm, uh, and resting its head on their lap. It was only when they got to the vets that its true identity was revealed, and it was a male wolf. (laughs) (laughs) That they'd just bundled into the car and all wrapped up and basically been trying to keep nice and warm. Thankfully, the wolf did have very, very low blood pressure, hence its docile nature. Um, But as soon as they realised what it was, they transferred it to a cage. Thankfully, new story with a good ending. uh, As the the wolf recovered, it was fitted with a GPS collar by researchers uh, and released. Oh, hooray! So I could have gone for... Animals that ended up in cars, Yeah, which I figured, well, I had a little bit of a look, but it was quite tricky to find any more information on animals that had been in cars. So we ended up just having the iguana and the wolf. Niche Google searches. Exactly. Even for us, that was, that was a, a, quite a niche one that I couldn't find any more of. So instead, I want to go back to how I ended up finding more about the iguana story in the first place, because Florida had had another cold spell this winter just gone. So we're talking winter 2022, 2023. Florida's just had another cold winter, and iguanas, once again, were dropping from the trees. And when I was reading into it, I came across a study by James Stroud of Washington University in St. Louis. And he was taking South Florida's most common lizards and sticking them in freezers to see what happened to... (laughs) Roddy's now got his head in his hands. God bless science. It's James, man. Like. So what he was doing was wanting to see at what temperature the lizards started freezing up. Now, I will say, straight off the bat, he didn't kill any in this study. He was just seeing when they became inactive. And what he did learn was that at about 44 degrees Fahrenheit, so that's six and a half Celsius in real money, is when they started to freeze up. Yep. Interestingly, though, he found out that they were able to withstand slightly lower temperatures than four years earlier. So four years earlier, he'd done a test. Basically, he'd found out that they're now freezing up at a low... It takes a lower temperature to cause them to freeze up than it did four years earlier. Yes. Which is evidence that they may be adapting to be more cold tolerant. Right. Now, many of these lizards that are found in South Florida are invasive, non-native, have been released and are running about like the iguanas. And when Florida has had serious cold snaps before, so in 2010 there was a particularly cold one, temperatures dropped so low that ice formed on shallow water south of Florida City, which is really, really cold for Florida. Iguanas and other invasive reptiles like the Burmese python died off in droves. Loads and loads of them were just being found frozen. But a study found that the python population recovered quickly, basically dashing any hopes that cold weather could put a lid on their population Mm. growth. So what's happening in Florida is really interesting because there's a whole bunch of species that have sort of been assembled from all over the world that seem to be quickly adapting to a new climate. So what I want to look at instead is, having been thwarted at looking for animals in cars, I want to... Who who possibly saw that coming? (laughs) I want to just talk about a couple of other examples of... Animals that are basically adapting in front of
1: our eyes. Yep. So can we quickly just understand a bit more about James? <laughs> yeah. He put a load of lizards yeah. in a freezer and then four years later just thought I'm doing that again. <laughs> yeah, I guess so.
0: <laughs> yeah. I wonder if I yeah, I
1: wonder if anything's changed. That's the curious mind of science. Yeah yeah it's it's the very angry freezer salesman of life though <laughs> he
0: has got yeah very angry um you imagine going to get your yeah going to get your lunch out of the work freezer yeah. and there just being a whole iguana in that it did say that he had to add the iguanas to the study later on because the initial freezer that he had wasn't big enough for iguanas
1: what who like then who they're not built
0: for iguana
1: Uh, so yeah iguana's a huge
0: maybe he's then just you know chest freezer yeah you could get an iguana in a chest freezer yeah
1: yeah okay so James you're a curious man (laughs) we salute you (laughs) we salute your endeavours yeah so let's have
0: a look at some other examples of animals that seem to be adapting within a surprisingly short space of time so staying in Florida and staying with lizards we go to the much smaller green anole so little sm- a lot smaller. Yeah, a lot smaller. little small lizard that was living quite happily in Florida until the brown anole was introduced accidentally as a stowaway on shipments from Cuba in the 1950s. Hmm. So they've got similar lifestyles and food requirements, which means that competition between both species is quite high. So you've got the green anole living quite happily. Brown anole comes along, wants to live in the green anole spot quite high competition between the two species. But the two species seem to have managed to sort themselves into new niches. The green anole has moved higher up the trees, away from the... So the brown anole isn't sort of taken over the lower areas. The green anole's gone up the trees, and by studying this on islands in Florida's Indian River Lagoon, biologist Yoel Stewart found that the green anole needed just 15 years to evolve larger toe pads with more lamellae which are the fringes that increase surface area to allow it to grip to trees. So it can spend longer time up in the trees, and in just 15 years of interaction with the brown and it's able to evolve better body plans to allow it to survive higher up in the trees. That's staying in Florida and looking at how quickly evolution can change at the introduction of a new invader. But there's also evidence of animals changing here in the UK too and in a way that's influenced by our actions. I want to talk.
1: Foxes
0: and or bird beaks. We're going for the second one, but okay. the foxes is one that I'd not thought about, but there is.
1: We've Do you done want to... that one, haven't we? Yeah. Urban foxes are evolving thinner heads. Yeah,
0: so one of the telltale signs of domestication <laughs> in an animal is their faces get shorter because of their... I think it's because of their muscles in their head getting weaker for chewing and killing. So, do- telltale sign of domestication is faces getting
1: blunter. How you can always tell a domestic cow because it doesn't have that predatory wild cow head. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> It's, and that's
0: one of the ways that they look at um, bones and things of wolves and dogs and try and, like, draw the line. And it's basically as 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 we provide food for them that they don't have to go and catch and kill and they're not chewing up lots of, r- like, raw meat and things like that, then the, the face gets blunter. And that's happening in urban foxes versus wild foxes. But the one I want to talk about, Roddy, I want to talk about great tits. Oh. Yes. You can't stop him. <laughs> Because a 2017 study by researchers in the Netherlands and the UK found that great beaks were getting longer in the UK than they were on the continent. So between the 1970s and now beak length has got longer among British birds which is a really short time period in which to see this sort of difference emerging and we know that this increase in beak length and the difference in beak length between birds in Britain and mainland Europe is down to genes that have evolved by natural selection. So basically you've got birds in the UK, great tits, that are evolving these longer beaks than they are on the continent and what the team found was that the birds with genetic variants for longer beaks were more frequent visitors to bird feeders than those that did not have the genetic variation. So linking those two things together, and that in the UK we spend twice as much on bird seed and bird feeders than mainland Europe, then they...
1: put together? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Hmm.
0: And we've been doing this for some time. Yep. They can't say definitively, but their hypothesis is that great tits are evolving these longer beaks essentially as a way of exploiting that food resource and sticking it between, you know, to get the peanuts out or to get the seed out or whatever, whatever. Sticking it through the gaps in the mesh or whatever we're putting the food out. But there's definitely a difference there. And I'm saying, you know, the size is not something that you could just go out and see. And if you put them, like, next to each other, it wouldn't be obvious. We're talking millimetres. But it's very definitely a thing that has been
1: happening and those longer billed birds spend more time at feeders you think they'd evolve some kind of bolt cutter beak (laughs) and just cut through the bird feeder and get all the peanuts
0: (laughs) maybe that's the maybe that's the way they're going maybe they're just starting the long bit and then they'll go wide (laughs) and they'll develop some sort of wire cutter (laughs) that they can just snip around it exactly yeah so that's that's one example of how we're affecting actual physical traits within an animal but sometimes adaptations to human influence can be so extreme that they create whole new species themselves so for this animal we're staying in the uk and we're going back to the second world war and we're in london Mm. and we're specifically down in the london underground Do you know what this is? Is it an invertebrate? It is. I know what it is. So, we're down there in the dark of the London Underground seeking refuge from the German bombing raids during the Blitz. And Londoners sheltering in the Underground were getting bitten to shit by mosquitoes. And we still are. (laughs) (laughs) But this wasn't just any mosquito. This is the London Underground Mosquito. And it had actually been first described 150 odd years earlier In Egypt, but this is a species that's now found its way into many underground systems across Europe. So, it's very similar to the common house mosquito that they think it's actually derived from, but does have some significant differences. Basically, what's happened is a population of common house mosquito...
1: Has all got an oyster card. (laughs) (laughs) And a 16 to 25 rail card (laughs) has taken up shop.
0: <laughs> Essentially, what's happened is not too far from that. A, cu- a population of common house mosquitoes have got into the underground and are now beginning to split into a new species. So, the underground mosquito lives in urban, underground areas and uses rodents and humans as its predominant source of food. Although it is adapted that the female can lay eggs without the need for blood. So, it's said about mosquitoes that The only mosquitoes that will bite you are the females that need a meal of blood to actually lay their eggs. But the London Underground mosquito, although it's quite happy sucking blood from people and rodents, it uh, doesn't need a meal of blood to actually be able to lay its eggs. And in contrast, the common house mosquito prefers birds as hosts and does require blood to lay her eggs. The common house mosquito lives above ground and need to hibernate over winter, but the London underground mosquito does not. It can stay active all year round. And the mating flights that these mosquitoes take are very, very important for the common house mosquito, but the underground mosquito is completely done away with them as it needs to be able to breed in confined spaces. So there's these differences between the house mosquito and the underground mosquito, and the difference in these behaviours, particularly the differences in the mating strategies, between the house mosquito and the underground mosquito, mean that even in the few places where both species occur, breeding between the two of them almost never happens. Because things like the mating flights are really important ways of animals recognizing that those are the species to mate with. And because the underground mosquito mosquitoes done away with them, common house mosquito isn't going to recognize that this is something that I can mate with. So what we're seeing is speciation Basically, a result of us creating these underground habitats.
1: I wouldn't mate with someone who lived on the underground. So,
0: <laughs> but are these something that, as someone who's never really spent time in London, are these are these a thing that you can just go down into the underground and you'll you'll see them? And you know, are they?
1: Uh, they're yet to open a safari yeah. for the mosquitoes. <laughs> you know, we're not there yet. But but you said you said earlier. You know, you're still being bitten by them. Oh, I just threw that out there. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> I mean, um, I didn't know if these were still a
0: thing. Because they still—I mean, they still are—they're still around
1: for sure. But I didn't real—I didn't know how. Um... I'm not someone who gets that bothered by insect bites. Yeah. Like I never sort of flare up in them or anything, fortunately. So I could be getting bitten to absolute shit, yeah, and okay. I'm just not the person to tell you. Yeah. Um, but I've—I've I've heard that. I've heard that before. That they're out there. Mm. But I'm. Yeah. It's not like there's no tours gift shop, you know, sort of... It's about the only thing in London there isn't a gift shop for. Yeah, exactly, yeah, sort of groups of Spanish kids <laughs> over on their, you know, two-week exchange all leaving with a little stuffed mosquito <laughs> holding a tube card. But maybe that's the market we need, you know. Yeah. You know got nature tourism, exactly, nature capital.
0: Exactly. Um, one thing I did look into, because I have heard, and, listener, you may have heard this, is I had heard a rumour that the mice on the London Underground had become deaf. I read into it, and I couldn't find any truth into it.
1: But it is something that I had heard. It's when I asked you, are we talking about an inverter? I was like, he's either going to do the mosquitoes or we're going to do the mice going deaf. And when you did the mosquito, I had a quick check for the mice. And I mean, I've only done this two seconds on this side of the screen. I can't see any... Yeah.
0: So it is something I have heard multiple times as being said that the mice on the London Underground have evolved to be deaf because it's so loud down there that, you know, they don't need their hearing. There's no not really any predators down there, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, as far as I could read, that seems to be a complete myth. And the mice on the Underground are still very much able to hear. So the last example... I want to go to when talking about evolution within sort of an observable human lifetime because of course when Darwin wrote about evolution he writes about how it must have taken thousands of years millennia or whatever to happen but there are as I've said a few cases where we've actually been able to see changes in these animals over a human generation so to go from the very very small now to the mosquito to the very very large elephants a recent study by biologists at Princeton University looked at African savannah elephants in Mozambique's Gorongosa National Park and during a civil war that lasted 15 years ending in 1992 more than 90% of large herbivores were killed and the elephant population dropped from 2,500 to just 250 in 2000 Now I'm guessing you probably know where I'm going to go with this.
1: I think so, tusk size
0: Yeah, exactly So most intriguingly the proportion of female elephants without tusks increased during this time. So before the Civil War, 19% of female elephants were tuskless. Okay? After the Civil War, 51% of females wow. were tuskless. So just over half of females that were born after the war, there was a one in three chance that any given female that was going to be born wouldn't have tusks so as tuskless elephants existed before the war it can't be that the rise in tusklessness was due to a new mutation but instead it's the intense human hunting pressure that had favoured those individuals that didn't have them given that they were able to survive longer and reproduce more more and more females are passing on the genes that they've got for not having tusks and of course this is just because people are taking out the ones with tusks to get at the ivory. So a female without tusks, many people might be thinking, well, we're not going to bother killing that elephant because it's not got anything that we want. So they're able to reproduce, survive longer, pass on their tuskless genes into the next generation. Because despite being the fact that tusks are really useful multi-purpose tools for elephants, females seem to be able to cope without them pretty well suggests that they can't that they're not really essential for survival. In fact, among the three living species of uh, elephant, so that's the forest elephant, the the African forest elephant, the African savanna elephant and the Asian elephant, females of the forest and savanna species of African elephant tend to be tusked, but Asian elephants might only have short protrusions called tushes. Aww. So female Asian elephants don't really have tusks. Tusks don't seem to be particularly vital in Asian males either, because in Sri Lanka, just 10% of Asian elephant males have actually got any tusks at all. Wow. One explanation of this is that 3,000 years of hunting and domestication by humans have favoured the loss of tusks in Asia. And it could have been that Asian elephants once did have lots of tusks, but because we've had a much closer relationship with Asian elephants, with them being a little bit smaller, a little bit easier to tame and put to work and all that stuff that we've done, even though we've lived alongside African elephants for longer, we've been able to do more things with Asian elephants. And it could have been that we have driven the evolution of Asian elephants or selected them so that there's there's less and less tusks, whereas African elephants have only much more recently been exposed to this human-driven selection. Um, so, yeah, it, it very much seems to be that as a result of this, uh, of this event in Mozambique with the Civil War, that it's driven the detusking of a large part of the African elephant population as a re- direct result. So the question is, that was posed by this little article that I was reading, was could it be classed as natural selection? as humans are a part of nature? And is it evolution by natural selection? Or are we we too removed that it cannot be classed as natural selection anymore? Because natural selection in many animals, they evolve in response to predation events. You know, they become more camouflaged because the ones that are less camouflaged get eaten. Um, Is it just that if we want the tusks and we kill all the tusked ones, we favour evolution to push down another route. Is that just natural selection?
1: I think yes. You think? I think I'm voting yes. I think we... I think... To put my big philosophical socks on, yeah. if I may... Is there more of a risk in not calling it natural selection because it's confirming that we're not connected to nature mm-hmm. when really what we need is people realizing we are connected to nature yeah, and that we are part of the ecosystem. We need nature. Nature needs us. Yeah. Yin, yang, everything else. Yeah. And if we start saying that anything impacted by ourselves is no longer natural selection, then it's almost like we're washing our hands yeah, yeah. of our relationship with yeah. the natural world. Whereas... We are, or they were at the time, you know the predator in the dynamic, yeah, we weren't eating them, yeah, yeah i I think it sits, I think it has to sit under the umbrella because otherwise we're inventing evolution by human selection, and that's just bollocks because you end up with a pug <laughs> so I don't want to live in that world <laughs> yeah. i think um I think
0: yeah i I think in terms of a definition. Yes, it probably does fall into natural selection. Mm. But from a moral perspective, like, you know, that's not... Because, because I think it could be used to excuse human actions. I think it, it can be flipped and say, yeah, well, it's just part of nature. And, you know, nature is evolution and the survival of the fittest. But I think there has to become a, a split where we say, okay, if we're looking at it in a purely evolutionary biology sense, yes, it's natural selection, but morally we shouldn't be accepting it because we know better. But in this case, you know, in particular, the whole civil war and things tied into it as well. So, you know, it's a very, it's a very murky situation as to why they lost 90% of all their large herbivores. So it's a pretty extreme event. But yeah, it has resulted in over 50% of uh, African elephant females being born without tusks. So there you go. That's four five evidence of animals that seem to be adapting before our very eyes and there are countless more there are loads and loads more of them Perhaps i have just picked out five of them there what a lovely journey didn't have the best
1: end this episode as with the others is sponsored by Birda. yeah so, Birder uh, is a bird-watching app that turns the discovery and exploration of bird life and the outdoors into a game by using challenges, leaderboards, and fun badges. Get the app on your phone, get up, get out there, and get looking at birds. I know that it's definitely getting me much more engaged. Jack's been helping me out in the past with identifying birds. I don't need him anymore. <laughs> I've got Birder. I this you know completely redundant. Yeah. Vacancy for co-host <laughs> is now <laughs> open. <laughs> With thanks to Berta. <laughs> this weekend, Saturday the thirteenth, is World Migration Day. And so in honor of World Migration Day. This is the most migrationist. This is the most this is the the peak migrationist of all the migrationists. Yeah. So one of the things Birders does is it has facts, locations, everything built into it. So any species you see, you can click and you can learn a little bit more about that bird. And this bird, the most migrationists, Birder lets you know that one of the incredible things about this, the longest migration of any bird, 22,000 miles each year, we've spoken about it before, it is the Arctic turn. The Arctic turn.
0: And I believe it's the longest migration of any animal. Of any animal? Not just the bird. Yeah, I, I think the only thing that runs them close are things like humpback whales, but I'm pretty sure they st- by far and away the longest migration of any animal.
1: And I feel like a humpback whale is already closer to where it wants to go than a turn. <laughs> like if you lay a humpback whale and a turn on the same starting line, the humpback <laughs> whale is already further along yeah. than the turn. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely cheating. Yeah. But the oldest Arctic turn clocked in at 30 years old. So that means that doing this migration, it's gone over a million kilometers in one lifetime, which is 25 times around the world. It is amazing. And they're,
0: you know, they're sort of like, I don't know what about a couple of foot maybe with the tail they're not particularly they're not particularly big birds they're no. like a, they're like a small gull if you don't know what a uh, if you don't know what a tern is it's yeah. the closest sort of analogy i can i can give you but yeah they spend their summers breeding up in the northern hemisphere uh in the uk they can be found around our coastlines and on some islands autumn comes and it starts getting to winter they head down south and they head down to the southern hemisphere and they basically chase the summer from pole to pole and the most extreme ones will go from the Arctic Circle right down to the Antarctic uh, just every year backwards and forwards. It's really mental.
1: Exactly and like Jack said you know they're on the Arctic Islands they're up and about there but the UK is on that migratory route and I can check with Birda, having just opened it up now that uh, the one seen in Grimsbury a couple days before that Haysham, Burton, Bishop, Stortford, Summer Lay's local nature reserve. So these, you know, yeah. it's fantastic because you can just find out what's near you and where something has been seen to know that, you know, you don't have to book a cruise to Greenland. Yeah. <laughs> you know. These could just be passing by. Yeah, yeah, they do. They certainly do. And uh there there are
0: although like some of the places that they breed to places like the Farn Islands the famous ones where you can go to and you can walk through the colony and get pecked to shreds by the Arctic Terns which yeah. I've done it was an absolutely fantastic experience 10 out of 10 would love to do again um, <laughs> but uh, yeah they do, they do breed at places on the mainland as well and like Roddy's just said they'll be passing through so is a great way
1: of keeping up to date of where you might be able to see them and like we said this weekend this Saturday is World Migration Day m- Migratory Day so that would be a great day To go out and see not just Arctic terns, but in homage to all (laughs) birds, migratory or otherwise, to go out and check in. Because the records that get put into Birda feed into the Global Biodiversity Information Facility, which is then, you know,
0: for scientists can get hold of that data and study population ranges and all that sort of stuff.
1: Exactly. So records on Birda aren't just, you
0: know... For, for birder <laughs> yeah yeah or for you they yeah. can be used for actual positive Thanks. conservation and mm-hmm. research into these species and we should just uh yeah you know and may it's peak peak spring it's all happening yeah. all the birds are back yeah so get out there and enjoy them
1: get out there and enjoy them and have birder help you
0: It's time for that part of the show where we take one of nature's magnificent creatures and we pit it against Roddy Shaw in a fight to the death. Now, today's animal has been submitted by ecologist Brad, and it is the fiddler crab. Now, let's get to know our foe. Fiddler crabs could be one of more than 100 species that are most known for the males having one massive claw compared to the other one. They wave this often brightly coloured and patterned claw to signal their strength and fitness to females that they're trying to attract a mate and also to tell other males to keep away, sometimes using it as a weapon to actually get into fights with each other. Females, on the other hand, have normal-sized claws and of the fiddler crabs, they're found in mangroves, salt marshes, beaches across West Africa, Western Atlantic, Eastern Pacific, Indo-Pacific and the Algarve in Portugal. And they're often found on areas where you've got sandy soils that they can burrow into. They dig burrows in the sand at high tide, and then when the water's in, they all hide in these burrows, and then when it's gone out again, they all pop out onto the sand for their showy competitions once the water has retreated. Their diet is detritus that they sift from the sand and they pile it up in really neat little balls when they filtered anything nutritious from it with their mouth parts and you can often see around the little burrows of these fiddler crabs they have all these they look like little tiny snowballs or cannonballs all sort of piled up together around their around their burrows uh, they're not very big And, you know, I normally like to go for the biggest species when I'm given a family to choose from. But these are all pretty much of a similar size, with the biggest one being just over two inches across. So, the question is, Roddy Shaw, how many fiddler crabs are too many fiddler crabs?
1: Hmm. Have you seen them? I think I have seen them in Indonesia. I've seen them. In, yeah, in Singapore. I didn't realise they came up into Portugal and you got them in the Algarve. Yeah. That's cool. Or how spread around the world they were. I kind of had it in my head that they were just Southeast Asia. Yeah. But. No, you get
0: them quite a way up the um, eastern coast of uh, the USA. Wow. Like quite, quite far up uh, into sort of, I'm sure that as far as Massachusetts. That's just the coast. I think. That's like the whole coast, isn't it? I think. Hmm. And, yeah, it's all about, with a fiddler crab, it's all about
1: the claw. The claw. (laughs) I'm guessing it would be dishonorable to just fight the women. Uh, Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I think you have to take a 50-50 split. Okay, cool. But, yeah, the
0: the males are incredibly, I I think of a fiddler crab, I think of the character traits of a fiddler crab. They give me the impression that they're pretty vain. It's so all about the showiness of that. I reckon the way I view a beach where all the fiddler crab burrows is very much like suburbia. And the the the, the claw is very much like the car on the front of the drive that the males are very keen to show off. So as soon as that ties out, they're out there waving it around in people's faces. And they do do if you've seen Fiddler Crabs, or you can find videos online, when they come out of these burrows, they do just wave this massive
1: claw sort of at each other, just showing it off, really. There are some things that I'm very glad sort of stayed with invertebrates. And Mm. the thought of one massive limb, like, the fact, like, if that was with, I mean, giraffes have a massive neck, but, like, if gorillas just had a huge hand <laughs> compared to a two-inch crab having yeah, a big hand. Like,
0: uh, and giraffes, they, they only have one neck. Yeah. You know, it's, I think the bizarre thing about the
1: fiddler crab is how unsymmetrical it is. Lopsided it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. That said, have you ever seen a photo of like a professional arm wrestler? No, but I, do they look like a fiddler crab? They go all out on one arm. Yeah. <laughs> do they
0: paint it as well? Yeah, Is it really
1: patterned <laughs> and brightly yellow? <laughs> well, tattooed. Well, yeah, yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Um, and I am kind of... Well, I was going down a... Would I have to challenge a fiddler crab to an arm wrestle? But they are very small, and I don't think... And then you brought in the fact that it's... In many ways, it's, it's moved beyond limb and mm. i feel is now possession and i do i just have to outflash a fiddler Ooh, crab maybe like what's the flashiest thing i own and would that put a fiddler crab if i'm trying to woo a lady fiddler crab yeah. do i just have to for example tape the biggest thing i have to my arm <laughs> is that how is is it another mind game because some yeah. of these some of these become more mind game than physical challenges yeah. you know and I do like the idea of out flashing. I think
0: that the, the best way to humiliate a fiddler crab is is exactly that. Is, yeah, is to uh, uh, make it. You know, get have the better car, have the better whatever.
1: Yeah, mm. it's going to
0: stew on that. It's going to sit in its little burrow, sifting sand, eating detritus.
1: Yeah, when you said it's detritus, the fear level dipped. (laughs) Pretty swiftly, I'm going to be honest. Um, Okay, right. What would scare a crab? Or not necessarily scare, but shame? Or what would it really get jealous about? Mm. Oh, right. Surely... Like a massive nutcracker <laughs> oh. taped to my hand. Yeah, so something that does the job of their claw. Yeah, but infinitely better. But a nutcracker's a bit... There's got to be like a, a, bent, a vice, a set of bolt cutters. What's the biggest snippy? The biggest snippy thing. The biggest snippy thing. That's what we need. We need the biggest
0: snippy thing. You can get those telescopic tree pruners. <laughs> that just like but then that's that's less bulk that's more length less bulk that's
1: more distance Exactly. Yeah. hmm um well i just googled biggest pair of pliers <laughs> and i got the Nipex cobra extra extra large <laughs> which is a 22 inch set of pliers but hang on okay this is like there's sort of Hand tool porn. <laughs> yeah. I've just gone into the image. There are some big pliers out there. <laughs> I think this could be it. I think I'm just going to become crab. <laughs> yeah, because right, it's it's like you said, it's suburbia. It's a very showy fiddler crab culture. Yeah, as we know, <laughs> very thin. Yeah, you know, very showy, very uh, superficial, superficial. Exactly. So. You know I could and they're two inches big i could I could you know eat a load you know whatever I could scoop them up in a bucket and move them away, but to beat them to to really get in their head, I'm moving into their little burrow suburbia kind of thing. Do we know how big the kind of colonies are or how many they might live on a they, beach
0: it, it all depends on the species um but you can have hundreds of them on a beach
1: okay and
0: and the 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 size
1: of the claw
0: the showy claw in the males directly relates to the size of the burrow and the size of the burrow relates to the conditions that the female is going to lay her eggs in so she's choosing the males based on their claw size because that gives her a clue on how good their burrow
1: is going to be to raise her eggs this is the first one which i am going to beat on a socio-economic (laughs) level Because I'm not just going to... There's been ones where I've beaten them psychologically this way, that way. Fiddler crabs, I'm going to gentrify. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to gentrify their strip of beach with the size of my plier hand. So I'm going to get myself a pair of Milwaukee PVC pipe pliers, which if that guy's hand is the same size as my hand, these pliers are about three feet long. Whoa. (laughs) And I'm going to tape that to one of my arms. I'm going to spray paint it all kinds of colors. Yeah. I'm going to very much adopt the way of the crab, move sideways, move low, stick to the tide. Sift detritus. Sift detritus, <laughs> you know. at <laughs> the sand. I'm going to get in there, okay? Yeah. And all the lady crabs are going to see me and my massive plier <laughs> hand <laughs> dig out a burrow for myself. And I'm just going to shame a community of male uh, fiddler crabs into like essentially gentrifying their yeah. kind of area where they're just going to look upon themselves with shame at the size of their pincer <laughs> next to my giant plier hand will i surgically attach it is it a temporary situation we're unclear right yet but maybe you decide that you like life with the fiddler crabs <laughs> <laughs> become crabs, <laughs> and, be- and that's the last we ever see of you and, uh, and all future battles have to be fought with the great plier arm <laughs> but um yeah with with the assistance of the milwaukee pvc pipe pliers (laughs) uh, google them and it's a picture of a dude holding it in his hand with a black watch and that is what i'm taping to my arm and then i'm becoming crab on the beach and i'm beating a community of crabs by yeah sort of just disrupting their social dynamic that's how you beat a fiddler crab (laughs) all right we've got a question here and this question is from kira uh, kira shirling on instagram and kira asks what animal would fulfill what position on a long road trip so driver front passenger brackets navigation and dj backseat one brackets snack specialist and emergency preparedness and backseat two brackets quintessential are we there yet inquisitor <laughs> excellent this is great hang on I'm just going to write these down so I can see them in front of me yeah okay we've got the driver we've got front passenger navigation and DJ we've got backseat one snack specialist and emergency preparedness which I don't know what kind of trip you're going on Kira <laughs> yeah and then we've got backseat two. the quintessential Are we there yet, inquisitor? Phenomenal question. Yeah. Right. A lovely amount of structure given to us already. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So, um, right.
0: Now, I think driver might be a little bit trickier to to do than I initially thought, because I was
1: thinking, well, driver's going to be the the one that needs to know where they're going. I had the same... We've had the exact... I was like, oh, it's going to be like a pigeon or something. But no, the navigation has yeah. been passed over. And the navigation is going to be more difficult because it has to be navigation and DJ. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you can't just use, like, because who would want to listen to
1: nine hours of a pigeon's music choices? Yeah. What would a pigeon's music choices be? Oh, really scatty. <laughs> really abstract jazz. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you think? Do you think they've got... I don't know whether... I think they'd just be really basic, a pigeon. Oh, no, I think... I'm not saying... I'm not saying it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the jazz enthusiasts. <laughs> I think it would be, like, intolerable jazz. <laughs> <laughs> For nine hours. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it has, like, one or two favourite albums, and it just plays them constantly.
1: Yeah, and it's the kind of... There's, there's there's like, a... It's, it's Mm-hmm. Sort of background beat Which is the hum of the city And the mm-hmm. urban environment mm-hmm. And then every now and then Punctuated with a kind of <laughs> With this pigeon just sort of Startled looking You know, left, right and centre yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Skip up,
1: skip it up <laughs> Skip that <down.
0: laughs> um, Okay,
1: pigeon's not Passenger uh, seat p- Pigeon's not passenger seat So we're we starting with that Let's start with Let's work out where we're going Okay And then find I, the, think, I think navigation and DJ I'm thinking of, right, so
0: navigation is obviously one of the big hooks that we're going to look at here. So Mm -hmm. migration, Mm
1: -hmm. animals that
0: migrate, Mm -hmm. DJ, something that's bringing a good tune with it. My thought, Nightingale, migrates from Africa to Europe, knows where it's going, travels thousands of miles,
1: got a nice song. That's my opening bid. Okay. Okay. I'm going to throw out a couple other opening bids, Uh and then we can unpack them. Okay. Just going off of um, turtles, sea turtles, big migration situation, Mm. know where they're going, know how to get back to... I don't know if that's more... I don't know how specific nightingales are, Mm -hmm. but if we're thinking... We want to get to the destination. We don't want to get... Near the yeah. destination, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we we need to go home, yeah. <laughs> okay, and a turtle will get us home to the beach, even if it's never been there <laughs> for ages. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, turtles, uh, dung beetles. Okay, Yep. yeah. Again, we're not thinking about DJ just yet. I was just about to say, yeah. <laughs> but um, they use the Milky Way. To orientate themselves mm-hmm. and roll the dung. I think, I don't know if it, all of them do it, but the ones in Africa, the, I think the classic kind of like back legs rolling the ball of dung across the uh, savannah sort of thing, pretty sure they orientate themselves with like the Milky Way, yeah. which is bonkers. That's mad. Um, not going very far though. Not going very far. Yeah, they're going to be really good at popping out to get milk. Yeah, in <laughs> which case you don't need a four person team. Yeah. <laughs> um, whales yes so i was going
0: to say after you said turtles i was going to say whales because they do bring a bit of a a bit of a tune they do bring a bit of a
1: tune if you can stomach nine hours of whale sounds yeah and if you've got more than a smart car yeah Yeah. if you're like a flatbed truck (laughs) and they're just on the back yeah um what would a turtle listen to um i think they listen to 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 quite slow. I, okay, but if we think of famous turtles in pop culture of the last 25 years. Crush. Yes. Yeah. From Finding Nemo. Yeah. Surfer. Yeah. Yeah. Beach Boys. (laughs) Beach, yeah. Well, yeah, and, you know, (laughs) well, I guess I was going to say, you know, more modern stuff, but you could have a turtle who's close to 100 years old, so you might be listening to, you know. Oh, my God. Sinatra. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) I think, yeah.
0: I think, because you want an old turtle that's done the journey a lot, but I could not bear to listen to an old turtle's music for nine hours. A 70-year-old teacher. There is no 70-year-old alive today that I would want to listen to their music choices for nine hours.
1: Hot take. (laughs) (laughs) Reasonable take. Counterpoint. Yeah. How old are nightingales? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so their lifespan would be Four or five years There's not a four year old <laughs> on earth <laughs> I am given the orcs cable to <laughs> Yeah okay In a car Yeah Given the tr- I'm going sea turtle Sea turtle It's getting me exactly where I need to be mm-hmm. And It's just a terrible DJ though I don't I think a, de- I think a sea turtle is a terrible DJ Mick Jagger is seventy six. Hmm. If Mick Jagger was the DJ, yeah, okay, I'd be all about it. Okay, that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah, okay. Sea turtles. But d-
0: do you do you not think that Mick Jagger and Sea Turtles have led lives at very different ends of the yeah. spectrum? Yeah. <laughs> um, One of them has gone harder than the other. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can say that Mick Jagger is a. An accurate representation of sea turtle personality. Yeah,
1: his, his spirit animal is pretty. <laughs> it's far not a, removed sea, yeah. from a sea turtle, isn't it? There's got to be something. There's got to be something we're missing. What else? What about a toad? mm Hmm. We know that they go back to their original ponds yep. in a very kind of similar localized turtle-esque yep. situation. Um. But they're really bad at traffic junctions. Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they are going to. They need n- help across them. <laughs> they're going to navigate us into oncoming.
0: <laughs> I think. I think a toad would have a good choice of music.
1: I think kind of trance. Yeah, because they have like, like
0: beep beep
1: beep. Yeah. beep is a little noise that they make, isn't it? Yeah. Um. I I think we're going to have to be in slightly separate. We're gonna, we're in separate cars for this. Yeah. And I think we can each staff our own car.. Okay. I'm sticking with sea turtle, because I think, given everything, I would rather a DJ who had lived 70 years of music mm-hmm. than a DJ who's three years old. I'm taking, I'm taking a nightingale. Okay. I'm just hoping it's a very mature three-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, right. next up. Are we going backseat one and sorting out snacks or yeah, backseat two and working out who's annoying us? Let's
0: do snack
1: specialist and emergency preparedness. Again, two very <laughs> unique. This is a, a, a very thin Venn diagram <laughs> we're trying to solve here. I Okay, so, well, I think there could be
0: situations where they both apply. Thinking of animals that cache food. Mm-hmm. Who are preparing oh, yeah. for winter yep. emergencies? So I'm thinking of uh things like wild hamsters. Yep, I think a
1: hamster. Hamsters bringing great snacks. Yep, stores food. Yep, but aren't you going to ask it for something and it's basically going to pull it out of its cheeks? <laughs> 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 I don't want that. Yes. This is the same reason I'm kind of ruling out seabirds, because I don't want to be like, hey, you got anything back there? And then, then vomit a haddock into my face. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um,
0: what else? Stores. A bee. A bee? Yes, I don't think they're particularly well prepared for emergencies. Great snacks, though. Yeah. Great snacks. Every- Just what you need on a long drive. Buzz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: What about a squirrel?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or- I think I think I keep coming back to rodents. Yeah. Small mammals that are storing food. Although a squirrel is gonna be like, I got some great snacks, where are they? I
1: buried them all in the park. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere else, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but I know exactly where they are. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do think a rodent is a good chant just on the emergency preparedness size, because as a as a group of animals, they're generally they're they're not they're not doing yeah. too well. Like, no. you know. Well, everything's out to get them. Yeah, exactly. So they're constantly preparing for For the worst. For the worst. Which yeah. could happen an, at any minute. Yeah. You know, an owl just plucks you up out <laughs> of existence.
0: I still think I might have to say hamster and just say, can you just put them in a bag? Yeah. <laughs> Here's a quality street tin. Just put them in here. <laughs> not your cheeks. I think there's lot I'd just like to say there are yeah, there are lots of birds that store food. But there's something about the little hamster that makes me think it's going to be very diligent when it comes to making sure its phone is charged. There's a high-vis jacket in the back. Okay. Um,
1: you know, everyone's had a good night's sleep. It's just giving off that energy. I, was, I, was, I wasn't with you 100%, and then you said that, and I'm like, a hamster definitely charges its phone. <laughs> yeah. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. Okay, Cool. Right, I think we now need to work out the driver. The driver is hard. The driver is really hard, but I want to know the driver because passenger number three asking, "Are we there yet?" is annoying the driver. So,
0: does it have to be? Can we answer these two together? And does it have to be a almost Batman Joker esque, tail as old as time, oh. like arch enemy
1: situation? Hello, that sort of that sort of vibe. Yeah, this isn't that, mm-hmm. but in name it is. An ox and an ox pecker. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think an ox would be, if we're thinking driver,
0: we could think it as, you know, driving is an endurance, right? You know, driving is not just sitting there, putting your foot down.
1: It's Mm. just quite an endurance. I think an ox would be a good driver. You also want someone who is going to be a like... In honesty, you want someone who's willing to be a bit of a dickhead at the junction. Yes. Where if there's a queue in one lane, they are just going to hop out, zip to the front, and slowly put the nose of the car in and be like, sorry, everyone, but we have to get this ferry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're all... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Ox and oxpecker, I think, is good. Although, in general, I would say that... So, for anyone who doesn't know, oxpeckers are a family of birds that live around large herbivores. And what they do is they'll hang on to the animals, but they're generally picking off parasites from those animals. Yeah. So I think, if anything, they're, they're good news because they're not actually... Pe- they're, now, there are there has been recent discoveries that have shown that oxpeckers will drink blood of things like giraffes, and they will basically peck into the skin and rip the skin, and then they just drink the blood from those animals. So that's not great. Um <laughs> yeah. But in general... Even though they're called ox-peckers, they're not actually pecking the animal.
1: They are taking off parasites that are living on those animals. Yeah, science check, but linguistic check holds up up so well.
0: (laughs) Um, So, what animals routinely, in the animal kingdom, routinely annoy each other?
1: Okay, there's a famous video, I don't know if you've seen it, of two cats on a roof and a crow goes in and just pecks at the cats and basically starts a fight between the cats. <laughs> no, I've not seen it. Yeah, like, one cat is looking one way and the other's looking another, and the crow kind of, yeah, like, flies in, pecks it, flies off, and literally starts a fight, and yeah. it ends with the cats going at it, and they fight into, like, almost like a cartoon ball of, like, fists coming out, and then they just fall off the roof, and the crow's having a great time.
0: I've seen um, I've seen videos of a, a magpie uh, following a cat down a little, like, footpath, Yeah, and the magpie is sort of like hopping along the fence and then it just flies down and just pulls the cat's tail for no reason and then just flies back onto the fence and then sort of like laughs at it and the cat's like looking up at it. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think a COVID of some description is a great, are we there yet? Yeah. Because it's, occasionally it's going to be funny. It's going to come out with some good quips, but by hour four, you're just going to want it to shut up.
1: And I, okay, and I'm going back to Driver and I'm taking Ox and I'm working on it, I want either a bison or a muskox because okay. they plough snow out of the way. Yeah. And I, want, like I said, I want something that will get its head down and if it needs to weave through yeah. something, it's it's getting that car on that ferry. It's something a bit tanky, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's definitely something a bit yeah, tanky. Which can take the hit, take the abuse. And I imagine there are bisons out there trying to live a peaceful life in the forest and there's like a dickhead magpie. <laughs> just... I can see that. And similarly with, like, a muskox, I bet they've got... Yeah. A, you're d- d- trying to live on a hill in the Arctic Circle. Everything's cold, and then it's just a crow coming over going, <laughs> meh, meh, meh. And you'd just be, oh, my God. go And the crow's flying off, and you're just down there being a tank. and Yeah. 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 I think I'm... Yeah. Yeah. So my car, I've got... I'm going to pick a muskox because I don't actually think they've ever featured on this before Mm. I'm going to pick a muskox and also a lot smaller than you might
0: think yes so could fit into a car yep (laughs) if it's a
1: large car yes (laughs) but they are much smaller than you you, uh, think they're they're definitely smaller than a bison yes yeah Yeah. okay I've got a muskox behind the wheel Uh, taking us there and on the orcs cable I've got a 76 year old sea turtle (laughs) Backseat on snacks, we've got a hamster who is so well prepared, it's unreal. Mm. And then next to that, I've got the world's most annoying crow. <laughs> and I'm sticking with the same lineup, apart from,
0: on navigation, if it can tear itself away from TikTok, a three-year-old nightingale. <laughs> if it's got the attention span to actually look at a map... Hello again, listener, and thank you once more for making How Many Geese your primary source of off-the-wall nature chat. Please do get involved in the chat yourselves. If you've got a question you want us to answer or a topic you think we should cover, then fire that over to the How Many Geese Instagram page. Or if you've got an animal you want Roddy to fight, then send that over to me, at Jeb Adams. It's great to see so many people downloading the free birder app, so make sure you get on it if you haven't already. And we'll see you next Tuesday.